0: City WLCC brandon. Faith Talk Tampa online at Let's Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: And what it means is this Christ has purchased us, removed us from the slave market, and he set us free. He set us free. Now you see, we may not be first century slaves, but we were born into slavery. We were born into slavery. Who was our master? Sin was our master.
0: Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's program is part of a series on key Bible doctrine words. Words like redemption, justification, salvation, new birth, propitiation, repentance, reconciliation, adoption. These aren't just theological words. They form the foundations of the Christian faith. We need to understand and to appreciate the full meanings of these words. In today's study, Pastor Steve will continue to unpack for us the meaning of the word redemption. In the last session, Pastor Steve told us that there are three distinct concepts embodied in this word based on three separate words in the original Greek. Together, these three facets of the word form a multi-dimensional image of God's marvelous plan of redemption. These concepts come from the ancient marketplace where slaves were bought and sold, because ever since Adam sinned, mankind has been a slave to sin. The first word, agorazo, signifies the simple act of purchase, buying something for a certain price, as you would buy a car or a house. The second word. Exagorazo speaks of the act of taking the thing out of the marketplace, taking it home with you. From these two ideas, we see how we are redeemed from sin. God not only paid the price for our redemption through the death of his son, but then he also took the believer off the market. Satan doesn't have an option to buy us back. The third word contains an even more wonderful thought. It speaks of a third thing that God does in redeeming us out of the slave market— I'm not going to give it away by telling you in advance what it is. Listen carefully for this third concept contained in the word redemption. Here's Pastor Steve.
1: In New Testament times, we're told there are about 60 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire. That is an incredibly high number, but that's what the experts tell us. There were about 60 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, Ex Agarezzo says that not only has the price been paid for that slave, Not only has he been purchased, but he's been removed from the slave market never to be returned. He's been taken home. Someone would go and say, I like that slave. I've checked him out. I want him. I want her. Here's the money. They take him or her out of the slave market and they take them home. That's the thought. It's sort of a word of assurance. You're taken out never to return. So, agarazzo will refer to the ransom price. Ex-agarazzo refers to the removal. Okay? There is another word. Another word, apolutrosis, And that's the word found in Ephesians 1-7. Apolutrosis, And this is a word that means to liberate by the paying of a price in order to set a prisoner free or a person free. It means to release, to loose would be the thought, to loose someone from bondage after they've been paid for. Now let me just... Uh, bring this together let's go back to the 60 million slaves who were in the roman empire most of the time they were bought and sold like we sell pets that's pretty much was the fate of a of a roman slave but once in a while someone purchased a slave in order to give him his freedom could you imagine the joy of that you've been a slave all of your life your parents were slaves you were born into slavery or you're a captive people and here you're in the slave market and some, someone comes to buy you and you think, oh, I'm going out of the slave market to this guy's house and I'm going to be his slave. And he turns around, and occasionally, rarely, but this would happen, he'd say, I've taken a liking to you and uh, I am going to release you from being a slave. You're free. You're free. For whatever reason that person had, you are free. given him his freedom. Occasionally that happened. Now, that sort of combines these, the basic words of redemption. And what it means is this. Christ has purchased us, removed us from the slave market, and he set us free. He set us free. Now, you see, we may not be first century slaves, but we were born into slavery. We were born into slavery. Who was our master? Sin was our master. Sin was our master. We were born with, with sin natures. Uh, none of us were born free. You know, that's only for the movies. Let's look at uh, John chapter 8. The Bible teaches that we are not free until we come to Christ. John chapter 8. We are enslaved to sin. It's very important for us to understand because this is a generation that thinks that they are free. In fact, it's quite uh, uh, reasonable to think that you've come across people you've witnessed to who will turn around and tell you, you know, I don't want to come to Christ. Uh, I'm, I want to be free. They're really fools if they believe that. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. That is to say, if you continue in my word, you prove that you really belong to me. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You'll know the truth, meaning the truth about salvation, the truth about me. You'll accept me. Uh, In John's gospel, believe on him doesn't always mean they've had salvation. So he's speaking to those people who needed to still trust him. And they answered him and they said, and you see in their attitude that they really were not true, genuine disciples. Uh, We're Abraham's offspring. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you shall become free? Now, first of all, they lost all sense of historical perspective. The Jewish people since the days of Nebuchadnezzar have really been a captive people, really been a captive people. And even at that time, they were enslaved, in a sense, to Rome. And so they, they have sort of forgotten that. And Jesus answered them, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is what? It's a slave of sin. Jesus said everyone who commits sin, which is everyone, is a slave of sin. And he's referring here specifically to, to unregenerate, unredeemed people. Romans chapter 8 gives us more insight on this. Romans chapter 6, I'm sorry, I said chapter 8, but Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 6, Paul is telling him that, uh, telling these, these people that we've died with Christ, we're identified with him, and then he says this mar- some marvelous truths about our freedom, knowing this in verse 6, that our old self, our old man was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. He's making a comparison between what we were before coming to Christ and what we are now. He says part of salvation is that you're no longer a slave to sin. Notice verse 11. Even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to, to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. We don't have to let sin have dominion over us. We don't have to let sin reign over us. Before you were a believer, you did have to have that. You did have a master that was sin you had no no uh freedom verse 13 and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments unrighteousness of unrighteousness that's the way it used to be but present yourselves to god as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to god then verse 14 for sin shall not be master over you and you can really add shall not be master over you anymore this is the way it was for you are not under law, but under grace. You, you've now passed into a new realm. You're no longer under the old realm, and therefore you're not bound by that. Titus 3.3 3 says this, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18 says you were redeemed from your futile way of life. Feudal meaning vain, empty, purposeless in terms of how God considers purpose. So it's important to understand that each of us were were born into this world as slaves to sin. Now we thought we were really free, but we weren't. In reality, we were slaves in bondage to sin. And as I said a few moments ago, you often hear the expression of, I don't don't want to come to Christ, I want to be free. Or you hear the expression, uh, man has a free will. Before a person comes to know the Lord Jesus, they do not have a free will. They only have choices within the perimeters of their bondage to sin. They only can choose their sin. They really are not free. Because if they're free, then they're free to obey God, and that's not the case. You're not free to obey God until you trust the Lord. You simply can make choices, but you are not free. That's very important to understand. That's, a, that's an important theological issue. Man's will only becomes free the moment he accepts Christ. If you know the Lord Jesus, then you are free to obey him and you are free to disobey him. But an unbeliever is not free to to obey. He can only make choices within the realm of being in bondage to his sin. I think of the prodigal son like this. You know, the prodigal son said, I'll go and I'll get away from my father and I'll get away from my my brother. And so uh, he went out seeking his own freedom. I'll do my thing. He's sort of like this generation. I will get up and I'll go and I'll seek freedom and I'll get away from them. And what did he find? He left home, get away from his father, his brother. But before long, the so-called freedom turned to bondage. He worked as a Jewish boy, he worked for a Gentile feeding pigs. And then he became a slave to pigs, which from a Jewish perspective, in the first century pigs being a non-kosher animal, that's the worst thing that could ever happen. You see, that's, that's what often uh, happens when people think that they're going to get free apart from Christ. Their so-called freedom just turns into more and more bondage because they've never dealt with the real issue, and that's slavery to sin. Slavery to sin. And this is a generation like that. I want my freedom. I want to do my own thing. And they're really fools because they are not free. So this is the basic meaning of redemption, but how does it apply to our lives? How does it affect our lives? Because we don't want to look at these terms just from a theological perspective. We want to ask the question, so what? So what? Now that I know that it means that we're we're set free from the marketplace of sin, we've been removed, we've been actually set free as slaves in bondage to sin, how does it affect us? Well, what should our response be? I guess that's a better way of, of putting it. Would you look back again at Romans chapter... 6 verses 16 through 18. Paul says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You know what the implication means that, uh, of redemption. The Lord Jesus Christ has has bought us. He's taken us out of the marketplace and he says, "Here's your freedom. You're no longer slaves." A child of God then turns around and says, "But Lord, I want to be a slave, but not of sin, but of yours. I put myself in bondage, willful bondage, to you as you're willing." servant that's exactly what paul is saying that's what redemption means redemption means that we still have a master it's just that now we've chosen the master we want over us and he's christ we're still slaves but we're willing slaves you didn't have a choice in the matter whether you were a slave to sin or not we're willing slaves you see he set us free if we serve him it's because if you serve him it's because you choose to serve him not because you must serve him There's a difference. You choose to serve Jesus Christ, never because he forces you to do it. Now you choose, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's why Paul says, I beseech you. I I plead with you. Why? Because Jesus Christ never forces us to become his servants. That's an act of your will. But that's what redemption does for us redemption frees us so now we don't serve ourselves that's why it's ridiculous to think that a person can be a Christian and just continue in the old lifestyle redemption means that you've been freed and you turn around and say but I want to make myself a slave but to Jesus so redemption demands the response that we become his slaves are you his slave have you given him your your life your talent your finances I'm not talking about giving the, the church money I'm talking about your finances your attitude to the Lord You serve him as his willing servants. That's what redemption means. He's redeemed you to be his slaves by your choice. Secondly, since we've been redeemed, the pursuit of our lives has been directed for us. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells us there's only one thing to do since since God has redeemed us, since Christ has redeemed us first corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit who is in you and he's speaking here about not using our bodies for immorality for immoral purposes whom you have from god and that you are not your own he says don't you understand that that the spirit of god dwells in you the spirit of god dwells in you therefore you want a pure body You don't want to give your body for immoral purposes. You want to give it for the Lord's purposes and that you are not your own. Don't you understand that that you're a temple that you don't even belong to yourself? Verse 20, he explains it. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, and here's the application, glorify God in your body. What's he talking about? Jesus Christ has purchased you. Therefore, you don't have a right to say, I'm going to use my body to do my thing. Jesus Christ has purchased you, so therefore you, the pursuit of your life is to glorify God with your body. And he doesn't just mean with this thing called the flesh, anything that involves your, your body, your, your attitude, your mind, all of that. All that makes up the flesh and, and the body. Let's look at First Peter. First Peter chapter 1. Redemption is a very important doctrine in the Bible. And, and as I'm telling you, it's not simply something you understand theologically. It's something that grips your heart and changes the way you live. 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 14 As obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance he said you used to do things and you don't know why you did it and you didn't know Christ and you did these things and he says now you're obedient children now you're children of the father live differently because you know differently and you are different but like the holy one who called you be holy yourselves in all manner in all of your behavior because it is written you should be holy for I am holy he's quoting from Leviticus God said to his old Uh, testament people be holy because i'm holy the same message is to us because the father is holy we ought to be holy and if you address he says in verse 17 if you address his father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon the earth he says you ought to live holy you ought to conduct yourselves in fear you ought to live a godly life why Knowing And remember, in our ignorance, we did whatever we wanted to do, but now we know something. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of the life inherited from your forefathers. You weren't just purchased with money. If it were just a matter of that, it it would be simple. No, it goes a lot deeper than that. You were purchased, verse 19 says, with precious blood. Isn't that great expression, precious blood? As of a lamb... Unblemished and spotless. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Jesus Christ has appeared in time and in history in order to purchase us. And therefore, it is to make a difference in the way we live. We are to live holy lives. We are to live as God's children. We are to live clean and pure lives because we have been redeemed. We've been purchased by precious blood in acts chapter 20 the apostle paul says to the ephesian elders speaking about god's love for the church and he says which he purchased with his blood he purchased us with with his blood do you think that you belong to yourselves if you do you need to have a change of mind you don't belong to yourself tonight You don't belong to yourself. Tomorrow, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus Christ, and he has every right to interfere and intervene in your life. He has every right to make plans for you, and he does have a sovereign plan for you. And what he wants from us is to live for him. That's what redemption means. You've been redeemed. You've been purchased. You belong to him. He has every right to do whatever he wants in your life, but you know that whatever he wants is best for you and best for his glory that's redemption That's redemption. he has every right to show you that he wants a change in direction in your life he has every right to put his finger on an area in your life and say this is not right he has every right to say I want you to move I want you to have a new job I want you to have a, a, a new thing here I want you to do this he has every right to do that every right because he has redeemed us how did he do this How did he do this? What was the method of our redemption? There had to be a price, and we learn from 1 Peter chapter 1, it was with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, back in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, through his blood. The price for our redemption was the blood of the Lord Jesus, which is the Bible's way of saying he poured out his life for us. He paid for us. It was his life that was given for us. A man came to Dr. G. Campbell Morgan and said, I don't like to hear about, about the blood. He said, it's, it's disgusting. It's repulsive to me. It offends my aesthetic nature. Dr. Morgan replied, he said, I agree with you that it's repulsive, but the only thing repulsive about it is your sin and mine. The blood reminds us of how repulsive our sin is to God. It costs the life of his son. So the price for our redemption was the blood of, of Jesus Christ. His blood, his life was given. The Bible says that the Old Testament sacrificial system could not cut it. They were only uh, symbols of the precious and perfect blood of Christ, the eternal blood of Christ, in the sense that our salvation, because he is an eternal being and giving his life, that our salvation is an eternal salvation, eternal salvation. That means that after 10 billion years in heaven, the Lord's not going to turn around and say, you know, now you need to pay for some sin. You know you you you've had it covered for 10 billion years it just doesn't cut it anymore I'm taking away your credit card now the it's an eternal redemption the book of Hebrews tells us therefore after 10 billion years of fellowship with the Lord you'll have infinity forever eternity to be in fellowship because of the precious blood of Christ there are some people that make a grave mistake. They've done this in, in church history. They've said, you know, um, there had to be a payment. And who was this payment made to? And there are all kinds of theories. Well, the payment was made to Satan because we were, we were in the marketplace of sin and Satan was our master. That's not what the Bible teaches. God didn't make a payment to Satan. No. God's justice demanded that payment be made for sin. That's, that's simply what it means. The holiness, the justice of God uh, demanded demanded that there be payments, but God in his grace provided this payments, And that's his son's life. The payment was made really for the, to the justice of God, to the righteous and holy demands of a perfect God. Now, what does redemption do for us? It causes us to, to sing. Redemption puts a smile on your face. It puts a joy in your, in your heart. And, and I'd like to just uh, close with uh, Revelation chapter 5. This is what redemption does for us. It changes our life, but it also puts that great joy and song in our hearts. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, speaking of the four living creatures and the 24 elders who I believe is representative of the church, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book, to break its seals, for thou wast slain, and it's purchased for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Notice what what we 're going to be doing in heaven we 're going to be singing a new song, which is really the old song about redemption don 't think that when you get to heaven you 're going to be singing about something other than what you 've been singing about now'll probably be some different tunes it 'll probably sound a lot better i 'll probably sing a solo i don 't know it 'll probably be so so uh, different but The point is, is that when you think of redemption, you can't help but have that that song in your heart because he's, he's redeemed us. You know, as we said this morning, his kingdom just keeps growing and growing. But according to this, it says that he has a kingdom because he's purchased people. He's purchased people. So don't just think of salvation as something you have. Think of salvation in terms of redemption as something that God has, that Christ has. He's got you. That's what redemption is all about.
0: That's a wonderful word, redemption. By trusting Jesus as our Savior, we can have all the benefits of redemption. God paid the price for our sins. He took us out of the market so that Satan can never buy back the believer. And then he set us free from slavery to sin. That's the good news of redemption. You've been listening to Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's lesson was part of a series that during the next couple of weeks will take us through some key Bible doctrine words and what they mean for us today. In the next lesson, we'll look at the word justification. Verse by Verse is a daily radio program with lessons taken from messages given at Lakeside Community Chapel. If you would like to have a recording of the entire message from which these two programs in the series were extracted, you can get it on CD or audio cassette. Just call us at 727 727- Two three nine zero three zero six, and we'll be happy to send it to you you can also hear today's lesson again or explore the many other subjects on file at our website versebyverseradio.org that's versebyverseradio all one word dot o-r-g they're available for free download and if God leads you to support the ministry of verse by verse click on the box support us to find out how you can keep this program on the air in the next program, we'll take up one of the world's oldest questions. In chapter 9 of the book of Job, which scholars believe to be the oldest book in the Bible, Job asks, How can a man be in the right before God? Job goes on to talk about God's greatness, his unlimited power, his complete knowledge, and the impossibility of mortal man arguing with God to justify his own actions. God's answer to Job's question comes in the word justification. Yes, God can do what a person can't do for himself. Make himself right before God. Next time, Pastor Steve Kreloff will open up... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. (laughs)